Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Dr. Bernard Beitman is a psychiatrist who's been studying the the concepts involving what we would call synchronicity or um, or serendipity or um, in some cases just coincidence. The book is called Connecting with Coincidence, the new science for using synchronicity and serendipity in your life. Your, your opening story uh, is fascinating and it, it resonates, I think, with everybody who's listening. So I want you to tell it in your own words about that day when you found yourself choking. Sure. Sure, and um, I made a song out of this with a friend of mine, um, and uh, we've got an album now of seven really? songs based on coincidence stories from my book. Hmm. And this is this is one of the uh, one of the songs, uh, hmm. and I, I just start off with the way it happened. Um, and as I as you as you listen to this, uh, please keep in mind that this was a, a unique experience of mine, but it is not unique to just me. I had to look around at research. I did uh, questionnaire studies, and what happened to me, which I now call simultaneity, which means simultaneously feeling the pain of a loved one at a distance, the at-a-distance part. It's not empathy, it's simultaneity. You feel it at the same time, but the other person is away from you, not in the same room, not in the same house. And this is this is uh, what happened to me. It was like eleven. It was like eleven p.m. in San Francisco, in an old Victorian house in the Haight-Ash, in the near the Haight Ashbury, and I was standing at a sink in my Victorian house, choking choking, choking, choking uncontrollably. I couldn't get it to stop. I couldn't get it to stop. And then it stopped. Something was in my throat. Something was in my throat. And after what seemed like a long time, maybe it was five minutes, maybe it was shorter, but it seemed like a long time, I could start breathing and and swallowing regularly again. It it was uh, 1973. Um, It was like... uh, February 26th, it was 10 a.m., 10 p.m., or 11 p.m. San Francisco time. And the reason that that's important, uh, I will tell you, because the next morning, um, my brother called me to tell me that in Wilmington, Delaware, at 2 a.m. on February 27th, and 2 a.m. on February 27th, at the same time I was choking, at 11 p.m. West Coast time, my father was choking on his own blood East Coast time. He died choking on his own blood at the same time I was choking uncontrollably over the sink. And that was something that stays with me still, obviously, and that's why I wrote a song about it. It's why it encouraged me more to look into coincidences and just to make it a little more something. Uh, February 27th is my birthday. So my father died on my birthday. And to me, this was a way that he was saying to me, remember me, remember me. And in telling this story, I'm remembering my father. Uh, Sure. And that's what got me started. And I looked around, there's more stories like this. This happens 
sometimes to a lot of people in various ways. There's research by other people to show it. This is simulpathity. It happens. And we don't have explanations for it. Modern science, as you're implying, doesn't think much about this. But I have some ideas about how this might happen and what it means for us. Because what I've come to realize about coincidences, what I've come to realize is that they are markers for our understanding about reality. They help expand our understanding of reality. And this coincidence and coincidences like it are markers for the connections between two people. You call it a psychic umbilical cord. Yeah. I call it tunnels between minds. There are many other names for it, but it implies the same thing. There's some kind of ethereal tube that carries emotion and ideas from one person to the other. And it's like a telephone. It's like, uh, but it's more than that. It's like you can feel the other person. And we don't have an explanation for that. I'm starting to get one. That this is part of what coincidence do for us. Make us wonder about elements and the nature of reality. How does this work? So I, I want to drill on that a little bit because I, I find that concept consistent with some other conversations I've had in the past. And and obviously, as you began to explore what happened to you, you ran into myriad you know, uh, others who are saying that same thing happened to me or this is how it happened to my sister or whatever. And so often these stories involve family members. So that's why I was using that, that term, sort of a psychic umbilical cord, but especially between a mother and a child. And it is almost as though it's a, it's almost like a wireless internet connection or like an ethernet connection that is that would would have a kind of evolutionary uh advantage um that you could have between a, a mother and a child if the mother wouldn't have to be in exactly the same place as the child to know that the child was in trouble yeah and as i've also heard when that 11th grade boy comes back a little late and the mother says what bad things were you doing? I know you were. And not just because the odds were that he was 11 and he was a boy and he was up to no good, but because the mother had felt something. But it goes both ways, too. And I, I, I remember this, I had this conversation years ago, and it, it's, um, it's something that stayed with me, is that the, the person claimed that we all have this that we're all born with a connection which we then intellectualize away. And it's only the people who either nurture it uh, or, um, or, or, or play with it, just sort of, you know, don't, they, they don't dismiss it. They don't train themselves to dismiss it, um, that are, are able to continue it even though as they, they get older. But otherwise, like, everybody has it. It's just part of, that, it's just part of evolution that we would have some sort of connection like that where you don't have to hear the baby crying to know that the baby was in distress, but that it also cuts the other way and that kids can know when their parents are in trouble for the same reason. Yep. What, what research have you run into that would back up this concept of a psychic umbilical cord? Uh, Ian Stevenson has published a book uh, in the 60s called uh, Telepathic Impressions. 
and he interviewed um, and collected uh, stories from uh, a whole bunch of people about telepathic impressions and found that uh, more than half of these connections, like we're talking about, took place between family members. But it's not just with family members. What's crucial is the emotional connection between the two people, people who are close to each other, no matter what the family relationship is, can do this sort, can have this sort of experience. Yeah, I guess what's even more remarkable, though, and part of what would make it something which maybe a child would reject, is if there was some sort of psychic umbilical cord or the tunnels that you talk about, these sort of mind tunnels, Mm -hmm. If that were true all the time, nobody would want it. You know, it'd be kind of creepy to know when your parents are having sex, for example, and they were reaching some level of euphoria and that it almost only is limited to times of pain or stress. The human brain is tuned towards um, pain and fear uh, as a survival thing. Uh, It's better to be safe and then not sorry. Uh, it, because if you something's happening and you're not sure if it's bad, but it could be, you're going to act. I think there are the positive ones too, Ian. Um, it's just that they don't register as intensely as the negative ones, as the painful ones do. Uh, and do you think there's a way that we can that we can increase their vibrancy so that? Absolutely. Okay, what, so what, how should we be raising our kids differently to keep that psychic umbilical cord alive? Well, uh, I, back to before we even talk about that, I think it's important to be able to modulate, not just increase, but be able to decrease it too. Because there are just sometimes when you don't want to have a connection like that. And right now we don't have enough awareness of this possibility. And I'm hoping our conversation here will make people just pay attention to this possibility first. You're asking a a very important question that's in the future. When it's relatively acceptable, it does happen within families who have appreciation and acceptance of psychic abilities. So the kids grow up knowing that psychic capacities are always available to them. What hasn't been so consciously organized is how you increase and how you decrease consciously, but the way they get increased or decreased has a lot to do with the the emotional connection between the two people, no matter what the distance. This is interesting to me because this is, in, in past conversations, um, with empaths or people who are very intuitive, they say it sort of ties directly into um, into puberty, and that as part of our natural progression as a you know as a as a as a single soul being, is that we at some point begin to reject the protection of the generation before us, and we you know strike out sort of psychologically on our own. And up until that point, when we we feel a kind of dependence on our parents, that it's that's when it is a still a strong connection, this psychic umbilical cord. But as we reach puberty and we begin to sort of you know, you know, cluck our tongues at everything our parents do as being weird, uh, that that it, that's when it gets lost. Uh, there's no there's no evidence that I have seen that supports what you just said. 
what you say makes a lot of sense to me. But I don't. I haven't seen anything that shows that to be the case. Um, there's a, a a lot of people who continue their connection with their parents. I'm, I know little kids who don't have much of a connection with their parents. So the, 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 it's the connection, it's the emotional connection, which can get reduced in just the way you're talking about, that I think is most important from what research I can see. But what you're talking about is researchable. Okay. And I think what you, the point you make is, is really valid. Then we could say, for example, if it were a, 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 a teenage girl or a preteen girl that was like, you know, sort of breaking free of mom, um, she might be able to tune it out, but she can't turn it off whether she wants to or not. And her mother still could be uh, looking for her in the psychosphere, which is where I think a lot of this takes place. I think there are one-way streets with these things sometimes. Uh, where you can more consciously do it, which is mostly what you're just talking about. How consciously can we do this? And I think you're you're ahead of the game uh, for perhaps a lot of the people listening. I know for the people I know, what I would ask your audience and to, for you too to start at a simpler level and to say that what happened with me and my father was a marker of our connection. It marked that we were much more connected than I ever thought we were. And that's where it starts. Then I have to look at just how is this connection developed? How is it maintained? And how did it happen right then that I felt just about what he was going through? How did that happen? The important question coincidences do is ask what is the nature of reality? And your show and, and George's show, what you're doing with Coast to Coast, is trying to tell people that what you're being told about reality is not the whole story by any means. And there, as you're talking about the UFOs, sightings perhaps, or at least right. the lights going on, you're right. trying to say there's something else going on. And coincidences are another way of saying, hey, look, there's something else going on. What might it be? And in this case, simulpathy, it's a marker of connection with other people. Love that. And it has nothing to do with um, space and time. It's not proximity. It, it, as you experienced, you and your father were on opposite sides of the United States, and yet you felt it just as strongly as if you had been in the, in the same room. I, I might have felt it even more strongly if I was in this. If I, I felt it more strongly than I would have were I in the same room. Uh, explain that. Do you think you think it's possible that we pick up these um, psychic distress signals, yeah, for example? Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, the psychic distress signals, if the distance between us is actually farther. Uh, it's a different sort of picking up because if I were in the room with him, I would be compassion, much more tuned in to how he was feeling, and I wouldn't be choking. I might empathize with his choking, but I wouldn't be choking myself. I wouldn't be being like him. I would be being empathic and sympathetic with him. That's very interesting. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.